Welcome to Four Quarter Lives and to exploring the profound impact of longer, healthier, and more engaged lives for ourselves, our couples, for companies and countries. I'm Aviva Wittenberg-Cox. Next week, we zoom out to how countries around the world are preparing longevity strategies. But this week, we're first going to zoom into just one country, the UK. We'll look at the UK as a case study of how one country is managing its aging population and see whether there are lessons for others. What issues does it face? What decisions and trade-offs does its shifting age demographic render urgent? My guest for this exercise is Alistair McQueen. He's head of savings and retirement at Aviva, not me, but the UK's largest insurance company and the second largest general insurer in Canada. Alistair leads the company's UK pension business, helping 6 million people save for and live in retirement. He's well-placed to summarize the scene and does so simply and compellingly. I also note, as an aside, that Aviva is one of the rare FTSE companies to have both a female CEO and CFO. So today on Four Quarter Lives, I'm delighted to welcome Alistair McQueen. Alistair, thanks so much for joining us. It's brilliant to be with you, Aviva. Thank you very much. Now, we first met and spoke years ago. I remember writing a story in Forbes about your innovative policies, and it was right after Aviva, the insurance company, not me. I do blame you guys for everybody always forgetting the H at the end of my name. (laughs) Produced a report called The Gathering Storm. Can you remember that? And what did it say? And how did the pandemic then impact all the issues that were already being raised back then? Yeah, it was a few years ago. I think it was probably 2019, roughly. But boy, does the world feel a different place today than it was then. And you've just mentioned the P word, the pandemic, and that's something that's happened between us first speaking and between us speaking today. But if I just turn back to that first conversation that we had back then, I think it's important to set the scene just to explain, well, why is my company, Aviva, even interested in the topic that you lead us through brilliantly? Well, I think it's important to understand Aviva is the world's oldest insurance company. It's been around since 1696. That's impressive. Not too many companies can claim that kind of history. Sure. Yeah. And fascinating history is a diversion being provided insurance for Winston Churchill, Isaac Newton, John (laughs) F. Kennedy. So amazing back (laughs) catalogue. But in addition to helping people ensure their well-being and their life and their livelihoods, we help people save for the longer term. In the United Kingdom, which is our core home market, we are the leading provider of long-term savings products. And we felt, given our scale and given our history, we had a role not just to make money for our shareholders, but we had a responsibility to play our part in societal debates. And we looked across at what are the societal debates that we have a real role to play in and some legitimacy in engaging in, and it was that of life expectancy. I would argue one of the biggest transformations of the 20th century was the increase in life expectancy. And I'm going to talk primarily about the United Kingdom, but you know better than many that it's a developed world phenomena. In the year 1900, life expectancy in the United Kingdom would maybe be 40 to 50. Now it's 80 
towards 90. So a real transformation in life expectancy, which is a wonderful, wonderful thing. That's an extra 30 or 40 decades we're talking about. That's almost, almost doubling of life, right? Exactly, exactly. And that is to be celebrated, but we need to help people thrive and those do people really longer, get that yeah. yet? I mean, do they? Uh, no, that's no. Not, I think uh, it's a it's a great point. I think we're all hugely influenced by the generation that went before, and we all look to our parents or our elderly relatives and look at their life experience and assume that ours is going to be something similar. And so, when we in the United Kingdom ask people how long do you think you might live. Typically, our people are a decade short on what their expectancy might be. That life expectancy is brilliant. It has to be celebrated. It has to be educated. But clearly, it has to be paid for as well. And, and it has to be realistic. People have to add that extra decade that they're dropping yeah, in their yeah, future planning. Yep. Exactly. There's a huge encyclopedia of analysis written about how do you rise to paying for this longer life that you hopefully will live. But it really boils down to three options. One is you as an individual can save more. Secondly, you can work longer. Or thirdly, if you don't want to do either of those things, the reality is you have to accept that you're going to retire poorer. Really, there is no fourth magic bullet to get around this challenge. And Aviva said, look, this is a big societal issue. We're already playing our part in helping people save more. Millions of people in the United Kingdom we helped them save more. So we felt our conscience was clear there. But we were silent on the second action of helping people embrace a longer, fuller working life. And therefore, we felt if we're going to have credibility as a socially responsible corporate entity, we need to start investing more in this debate about working longer and everything that you talk about brilliantly. And that led us to that area of working and led us to that report. So what did the report say? And then the pandemic swept in. And what did everybody do? I think what I would say exactly, let's take it if you can one step at a time. Let's talk about pre-pandemic and let's talk about post-pandemic. Pre-pandemic, I'll be honest, our company Aviva, I should say, (laughs) was looking at this. This is complicated. (laughs) Aviva, the insurance company, was saying, let's look at this as a gesture. Let's dip our toe into this debate. Let's be worthy. Let's approach this as a nice to do activity. But we then quickly started to look at our own employee population. This is about 20,000 people in the United Kingdom. And to be honest, we maybe hadn't looked at it closely enough. And when we realized that our own population, our own business was experiencing this changing demographics it made our management stop and look up. When we learned three things, we learned, first of all, that a third of our population was aged 45 and over, and it was our fastest growing population. Secondly, we learned that this population had an average tenure with Aviva, my company, of 17 years, wow. a hugely knowledgeable population. We worked out that was 85,000 years of corporate <laughs> knowledge they had. And then the third thing we noticed was, but they're slipping through our fingers. The attrition rate of this population was faster than any of the younger age groups. And it was at that point, the big light switch flicked inside my company. Instead of it being maybe the human resources director saying, this is something that we should look at because it's the nice and the right thing to do. Suddenly, the finance director leaned forward and said, sorry, what was that? What did you say there about our assets, our people? 
our most experienced assets is leaving at a faster rate than our younger assets. And at that point, the brain switched on and Aviva, our company said, we're going to have to do something more about this. So the report was to play our part in lifting the lid on the importance of this changing pattern of work in the United Kingdom, to highlight to businesses the need to invest, not the niceness, but the need to invest in a fuller working life for their own well-being, to speak to the government about if this isn't addressed, the problems coming over the horizon in terms of keeping the lights on in the United Kingdom are going to be critical. But then also just talk about some of the actions that we took as a business, not claiming that we had all the answers, but just to say, look, this is what we're trying to do. Please join us and the few other companies that are already here because for the well-being of the United Kingdom, we all need to step forward. Just to summarize, basically, you write a report saying everybody's going to have to work longer. Our own employees are a really good case study of this. And then the pandemic happens and everybody retired hmm. and seem to not be coming back. And that's a particularly UK story, as yeah. I understand it. So how do you context why that's happening? And where does the UK stand vis-a-vis other comparable? Yeah, well, I think countries? you're right. In the years leading up to the pandemic, this issue of participation and contribution of workers, let's say over the age of 50, it was a topic. But the comfort zone that Britain and the UK had in the years leading up to the pandemic, there had been a long-term trend of it increasing participation amongst the over 50s in the UK labour force. Which had a huge contribution to GDP, just like the influx of women into the workforce. Wasn't the influx of older people into the workforce a similarly massive contribution? Yeah. I mean, it was probably, let's say, 20 years ago, one in five workers in the UK were 50 plus before the pandemic, maybe up to nearly one in three, a faster growing cohort than any. That trend, first of all, slammed into reverse during the pandemic and has since stalled. We have seen a flatlining. This trend has not continued. And to such an extent, you'd estimate there's in the region of 1 million in the United Kingdom, 1 million fewer over 50s in the labor market than we would have expected had that trend continued pre-pandemic. So and at the us, moment, give us your why. Like why? Well, yeah, and that's the million. <laughs> it's a million dollar question. There's a live debate. I think the two leading arguments at the moment, and it's for debate. One is people saw life beyond work. Suddenly, we many of us were working from home, and maybe in the United Kingdom, not working because of the pandemic. And many people thought, well, do you know what? Maybe there is more to life than work, and they took that step. But secondly, in the United Kingdom, there's been an increasing trend in long-term sickness, and that's predominantly amongst older workers. And something is happening underneath the bonnet of the United Kingdom workforce, and nobody's fully explained it yet. What is happening that is making more people feel less capable and less able of contributing to the labor market? It's alive and it's an acute debate, but while that debate rages about what it is that has caused this sudden flatlining of participation amongst the over 50s, it just meant that the report that we wrote in 2019 became even more critical. Not was it now just about supporting the continuing increasing participation of over 50s, it was now about kickstarting again the participation of over 50s, indeed reversing the decline in participation of the over 50s in the UK labour market. And so we have seen 
Aviva continue its investment in this area. Other companies wake up to the need. There's a massive, what we would call a war for talent in the United Kingdom. And employers are realizing this experienced population of people over the age of 50 haven't been spoken to up until now. And the government themselves are saying, for the well-being of the country, we need to address this. And they are taking their own steps to address it. So we did not know a pandemic was coming when we published our report in 2018, 2019. We convinced ourselves of the need to act before the pandemic now with the pandemic, the need to act is greater and stronger than ever. And hopefully more people like you can lead us towards responding to these challenges. So we'll get a little bit towards what are the responses, given that we don't quite understand why people aren't going back. So it's a little hard to define responses, I imagine. Yeah. But before I get there, can you give us a layman's lowdown? I mean, I know this is a very complicated, multifaceted highly technical topic. And I'm just, I think it needs to become clear from more people why this issue of aging society is all about and why is it such a transversal, cross everything yeah. impact on everyone? What are we talking about when well, we're talking about aging societies in the UK? Yeah, I mean, it is huge. And that's what makes it fascinating. And it's only going to the trend is going to continue and therefore the fascination and the importance of this topic will only continue. Technical, mechanical level, what we're talking about here is the average age of people in the United Kingdom is increasing. Life expectancy is increasing. The average age of the population is increasing. The balance in society is changing. What's um, the average age? What is it? The average now? age what in the UK, probably about 41, 42 in the United yeah. Kingdom. And what was um, it? I don't know. Well, in 2000 or so? Sure, it's probably about 35. It's it's increasing yep. and increasing at pace. Yep. The average person walking around is a number of years older than they were just a decade ago. But also the shape of society is changing. We're pretty much in the cusp point now where the number of people over the age of 65 in the United Kingdom will outnumber the number of people under the age of 16 in the United Kingdom. If you use that as the benchmark of quote-unquote retired people, there will be more retired people in the United Kingdom than there are school children in the United Kingdom. And that is a massive change in society. And this has, I think, two big impacts. It's got mechanical impacts on how the UK needs to work. We need to think mechanically, how are we going to support this growing older age of population with healthcare, with social care? with pension provision, the mechanicals. We need to look at the legal system. What is it in the legal system that may be acting as a barrier to the embracing of all ages in the United Kingdom? But we also need to just challenge our mindset. Changing the mechanics is political and political is painful and it takes time, but it can be done. Changing mindsets is not just about writing down a rule and moving on. That takes time. We need to change a mindset and a mindset that we have seen inside my company that says, not written down, but it says, once you get to the age of 50, your best years are behind you. Once you get to the age of 50, you're on the glide path to retirement. The young people are the future. The bright young people with the bright young ideas are the future. These are outdated <laughs> mindsets. And they're probably pretty generalized across companies all across yeah. this country and every other one. I mean, it's deeply yeah. embedded. I'm not going to beat 
anybody up for that. But we are all, as human beings, I guess, unless we challenge ourselves to think differently, influenced by our experiences and the experiences of those who went before us, we ask our parents, what is working life like? We look to our parents or our family, elder family members, what did they experience? The leaders of organizations who are making these decisions are basing them to some extent on their own personal experiences. And if we manage the future by looking in the rear view mirror all the time, we are going to take the wrong turns. We might crash the economy in this case. So the challenge is to not only put in place the mechanics, put in place a new pension system, change the way that we provide and fund healthcare, challenge the rules and the laws around age and age discrimination. We can do all those things, but we must also challenge the mindset of us as individuals, of employers, and of government about the expectations that we should have of us all. Let not age be the barrier of expectation, and we need to move away from that. So individuals, companies, and governments are all under the sway of this. So those are the people who need to move. Let's just momentarily say, so what happens if we don't move? What's the cost of ignoring this imminent, I mean, reality? This is not the future. This is the present, right? Let's look at what happens if we do not act. And let's look at those three buckets. You've said individuals, employers, and nations. And I'm going to use the UK. At an individual level, if we as individuals choose not to respond to this aging population and our longer life, the reality is that the amount of financial stress and emotional stress that we will feel in the years to come will only grow. We will literally struggle to make ends meet. And I'm exaggerating to make a point, but the pressure on us as individuals to navigate our future or a longer life as we want to will come under great strain. We're under great challenge as individuals. As an employer, we are all in an incredibly competitive corporate world. And I would argue that for many employers, the people that they have are the bedrock of their organizations. If the UK employment market does not change in the coming decade, we can expect maybe 7 million young people to enter the labor market. But at the rate of exit over that same period, we can expect maybe 10 to 12 million older experienced workers to leave. We will have a shortfall of workers and talent in the United Kingdom. Employers will not have the people they need to achieve the goals that they want to strive to. It's a bit like in a soccer analogy, businesses in the UK are going to try and compete with not, in soccer terms, 11 players on the pitch, but with 10 players on the pitch. And very rarely does a team win with one player down. So businesses are going to struggle to compete in the global market. And then for the nation, for the government, for the people looking after the nation's finances, the numbers are quite startling. If the UK decides not to do anything and just say, let's just keep our fingers crossed, the reality is that to pay for our aging society, and that's primarily to pay for health care and social care and pensions for our aging population, if we do nothing, the UK taxpayer will have to find an extra, and they'll put in pound sterling terms, and I'll put these numbers into context, but an extra £170 billion a year to pay for our <laughs> aging population. Now, Let's put some context around that big number. It costs the government about £800 billion a year to run the UK economy. So if you have to find an extra 170 on top of 800, that's a big step up. 
Yep. And to just put that other 170 into another context, 170 billion pounds every year is the same as what the UK currently spends on defence, on policing, on housing, on transport, on agriculture and on the environment every year combined. So if the UK chooses not to respond at a governmental level to this ageing society, the next generation will be forced to answer the question, do you want healthcare or housing? Do you want a pension or policing? Do you want social care or do you want fresh air? Because we as a society will not be able to afford it all. That is a numerical reality that is coming over the horizon. So at an individual level and at a business level and at a national level, this is way beyond a nice-to-do conversation. This is a need-to-do act. The challenge that you and I have got and the people listening to this podcast have got is how do we make society look beyond today, look beyond this week, and look slightly over the horizon to respond? That's the challenge that we must rise to. So it's um, kind of a terrifying scenario. You know, we can doomsday this down and we can lift it up a little bit. So there, you've just summarized what I call the three C's that need to adapt. Careers, companies, and countries. Yeah. All of those stakeholders are faced with this, will face it increasingly over the years. How do we change the narrative from one of doom to one of sort of opportunity from, we talk a lot about, aging societies. Do you think the language has to shift to something more like longevity-ready countries? There must be a huge prize that awaits those who get the power and potential of... There is a huge prize, and I think Aviva, my company, believes is a huge (laughs) prize. And we've got evidence to show the prize. We had, before we took our small steps, and before we took our steps to embrace all ages in our company, we had a population of people that really, once he got to the age of 50, there was a culture that suggested, as I said before, your best years are behind you. You'll be looking forward to your retirement. We don't expect much of you. And this was one third of our population, our most experienced people in the company, one of arguably our greatest asset. What we have found is that by consciously investing in this population, by consciously listening to this population, by consciously communicating with this population. In the past five years, we've managed to reverse some of those perceptions, both at an individual level, and I'll touch on that, and both then secondly, a corporate level. So an individual level, maybe the human resources director in our company is delighted to see that our over 50s are telling Aviva, my company, they feel more confident, they feel more aware of the challenges and opportunities that are there for them, and they feel more appreciative of my company as an employer. So at an individual level, people in this age group are starting to say the old mindset was an old mindset, and I have a new mindset now with this company. Now that satisfied the human resources director. If I then turn to the finance director, when I can show to that person the attrition rate of this population in Aviva, my company, has slowed down. The absenteeism rate has reduced. This population's participation in training and development has increased. And their engagement, their productivity, their engagement with my company, Aviva, has increased. Suddenly, the finance director is seeing the return on the investment here. Yep. And in this war for talent, 
the company I work for has now got credibility in trying to seek the best of the best of this population where many other companies have yet to wake up. So there is a huge competitive advantage. Individuals feel it. They are thriving. Businesses like mine feel it. We're we're also turning the dial on the mindset that was there before. And is the age of people working at Aviva rising along with this over the last five years? I mean, it was going to rise anyway as the shape of the organization changed. The acceleration has continued. And yes, in short, we are seeing the shape of the organization moving back to the place that we would want it to be. We're having to continually work at that, yes. So you had a third who were 45 and over when you wrote that report five years back. Five years in the scheme of a company that's 325 years is not long, but I'm going to say it's probably moved a point or two in the right direction. So we're probably up to about 35% in the 45 plus age group. Compared to society, as I said to you before, UK employment population is flatlining in that age group, if not retracting. So we as a company are managing to buck the trend. I say this with the humble tone in that we're not claiming that we have got all the answers and we've got this challenge and this puzzle answered, but we are learning and it's not just the human resources director that is saying this is the right thing to do. If a business out there can get their finance director to say this is also the right thing to do, which we've managed to get to, then you've got a great platform for success. The big chapter on companies adapting. I get a sense that individuals are kind of waking up to this. Governments are certainly waking up. They know their pension systems are at risk. Yeah, Companies seem to be kind of the laggards to the table here. And I'm just wondering, you guys as an insurance company are staring at the data and you have it. You've got it in-house. You track it. You're writing reports about it for years now. I think your challenge earlier about let's try and avoid being doom and gloom is the right one. The sobering statistic is I estimate that about 5%, 1 in 20 UK employers have this as a risk on their radar slash opportunity on their radar. 19 out of 20, not yet. Why do you think that is? Two things I would say. One is let's look around the world that we have navigated over the past five years And there have been no shortage of acute, immediate pressures on businesses in the United Kingdom and in many other countries. How do you keep the lights on when you're navigating the first pandemic in 100 years? Many nations, an inflation crisis, energy crisis, etc. So there have been definitely acute pressures. So I've got that sympathy. However, I think there is still a cohort that are still maybe looking in the rearview mirror and saying, well, I don't quite get it. I was fine. Why should the next generation not be fine? People have not yet fully understood the changing aging profile of many developed countries around the world. And the other thing I would say is this is, again, something that we've seen inside my organization. There are various isms. There's racism, sexism. There's ageism, obviously, that we're talking about. The ageism one, for some reason, is still the last acceptable discrimination I see around. By that, I mean it is now no longer acceptable in normal business discourse to make jokes about somebody's gender or to trivialize somebody certainly based on their race or their sexuality. You still have this acceptance of making jibes about somebody and about their age 
the challenge is how do you get people to realize that this is equally, not only is it not acceptable, but it's self-defeating. Age is something that all of us will have and all of us will grow towards. So this is affecting all of us. Why are we shooting all of ourselves in the foot by still not treating this one characteristic with the respect that maybe others have already achieved? Again, this cultural mindset. So yes, businesses have been challenged hugely but they need to look beyond the immediacy. Many of them are still looking in the rearview mirror. They need to look forward, not backwards. And third, this cultural acceptance that there still is to judge people based on the date of birth and their birth certificate before anything else. That's not a good place to be. All those years ago, I was writing a blog about Aviva, the company's midlife Mm -hmm. MOT, which is now a word that is in Rishi Sunak's recommendations. It's all over the place. Everybody's talking about midlife MOTs. I'd like you to get the credit for having launched that idea (laughs) and that program. I think it was Aviva that did that. Can you tell us why you did it, what it was, and what the impact has been since? Well, the impact, ultimately, at the end of the story, yes, this is a narrative that is now held in the corridors of government in the United Kingdom, and that was certainly not where this initiative began. The initiative began by how can we challenge the mindset that we saw inside our organization, the self-defeating mindset that was carried around in people's head that said, my career is over when I get to the age of 50. We thought what we need is an annual checkup for people in this age group. Now, MOT for those people outside the United Kingdom, in the United Kingdom, an MOT is an annual checkup you get on your car. MOT actually bizarrely stands for Ministry of Transport. It's a common phrase in the United Kingdom. My car is going for its MOT. My car is going for its annual checkup. And we thought we need people in this demographic, in our language, 45 plus, to have an annual checkup. A great branding. It's a great, it's a yeah. formula. Well, well, not, not, not really. Yeah, and somebody can give it a different name, but that's the name that we've gone for and the name is stuck. So I'm not going to fight over the right or wrong name for it, but hopefully you get the concept. And initially as a financial services firm, we thought we should go out and talk to people about how they can manage their finances in this age bracket. But then our own staff said, no, wait a minute. My life is way much more than just my finances. My life is my health and my well-being. And my life is my career. It's my career here. So we have the three W's that make up our midlife MOT. And it's an annual optional intervention any of our people in this age bracket can sign up for. And they get constantly sold out where they get educated and guided and supported on how to take control of your wealth, your work, and your well-being. The WWW, those are the three W's that we try and support our people on. We initially introduced them back in 2018 and we wondered, we'll open up the door, will anybody walk through the door? And we opened up the door and the queue was waiting. This is a population that we realized had been starved of investment, starved of development, and were realizing before maybe even my business was realizing that they had to adapt and develop themselves for a longer, fuller working life. And so we started it with our own company, As a business, we support many businesses in the United Kingdom, and we started offering it to those businesses as well. And I'd probably say one in 20 said yes, 19 in 20 said why, (laughs) but there you go. And then we got to meet with the government, and they were looking down the barrel of this £170 billion price tag that I mentioned before, and they were saying, 
Well, this is a big, long-term challenging issue. And to their credit, the current government has said, look, we're going to take the concept out of the walls of Aviva and out of the walls of the few other businesses that are trying this. And the government are now putting their own millions or millions of taxpayers' money behind it. And so in the next period, they're going to be rolling it out at a trial level, I'll stress, but a trial level across the United Kingdom to see, is this a way of supporting people in this age group embrace the opportunities that there are that come with a life expectancy that we've never seen before? That's pretty cool. A generalized midlife MOT for all. I'm just a little curious about who's going to implement that and how. That's fantastic. Then people wake up. I think that's a wonderful way to get people on the road. And then what's next most urgent in your mind? What are three things you would advise corporate excos to be prioritizing on the issue of longevity? You say three. I think the first thing that all businesses should do is look at their own populations. In Aviva, a 33-10-10 rule. When we're talking to our employer clients and saying, we have this service, our midlife MOT, you might find it of interest. And we say, look at your 33-10-10 rule. And that is 33%. If your population, if a third of your population is 45 or over, and many businesses out there will have that demographic shape, that is a big population that you need to be supporting. That's 33. 10. 10 is 10 years. What is the average tenure of people in that age bracket? And you'll be amazed at how many in that age employers do not know the tenure by age. They haven't looked at it. If you find that the average tenure is 10 years or more, that's a massive asset that you've got. And the third is 10% is the attrition rate. Is the attrition rate of that population more than 10% a year, 10% or more a year? Then that population is at a unacceptable rate slipping through your fingers. So I would say to all businesses, first of all, look at your 33-10-10. And if you are, yes, a third or more of that age bracket, if they have got 10 plus years of experience with your organization on average, and if the attrition rate is in the region of 10%, you've got a problem. And Aviva, my company, is addressing it the way we want to, and we're seeing the return on our investment, but other companies should follow suit. Um, Fantastic. That's that's like a mini audit. So that's really easy. You just recommended a mini audit that Mm. will probably answer a lot of the questions of how much of a priority this should be for your business. Sure, exactly. Any other top recommendations for Excos? Once they've done that, and if they see the numbers are climbing above those three recommended levels, then what do you do? Yeah, I think all organizations will be complying with the law. The law in the United Kingdom since 2010-11, it's been illegal to have age discriminant in your business practices. So many companies will say, well, I'm doing it. I am complying with the law. I do not say I want a young person for this job. I do not say the age ceiling in this application is X or Y. I cannot force somebody to retire just because of a certain age. Complying with the law is not good enough. Complying with the law is not going to change the mindset of your organization and of your people. You need to take tangible actions. We are taking tangible actions by introducing a midlife MOT, but you need to change the mindset of your own organization and the culture of your own company. Listen to your people. Ask your people over the age of 50 about what they think about their future. If they're telling you anecdotes like the anecdotes I was hearing where somebody in the age of 50 would have their 
end of year review with their manager and their manager's opening line was, well, this isn't going to take long, is it? Because, you know, your future is behind you. If you're getting anecdotes like that, even if you're ticking all of the legal boxes, you've got a cultural problem that is bad for the individuals, bad for society, and is going to be bad for your business. So listen to your people and see what they're saying. And then, having looked at the numbers, having listened to your people, take some action and really celebrate that action inside your organization. Make people realize and celebrate the people of all ages who are doing things outside the norm. We have got an apprenticeship scheme in our business in the United Kingdom. If you ask somebody to describe an apprentice, they'll say, a school leaver age 16, 17, 18, 19. We have got apprentices, a number of them in their 70s, doing formal qualifications. And we celebrate those people inside our organization, A, because it's amazing what they're doing, but B, to send a message to this organization that age must be no barrier to opportunity. So a bit of celebration is ways in which we are at least trying to shift the dial. Yeah, I mean, it's fantastic, right? It's this massive culture shift mm. that I certainly witnessed on issues of gender balancing years ago. And now we're in it. Yeah. And pretty well, every company will have to do this because we are all, this is brand new. I mean, I keep repeating, this is new. It's a new phenomenon. We're yeah. not really ready. And we're all deeply, for all of human history, primed to be relatively ageist, right? That's a natural. Yeah, no, I agree. So, a little work ahead. Yeah, but you are leading us in the foothills of Aviva. And if somebody's look, this is not going to go away. This challenge is going to become more important and bigger. And the prize is there for the organizations that can embrace it or the individuals that can lead us towards it as you're doing. And so if somebody wants to make a difference in the 21st century, well, you're looking at technology and maybe all the classic imaginations that people have about where are the opportunities in the 21st century. Embracing longevity is at the heart of opportunity in the 21st century. So I'm going to conclude with kind of a personal question because you're approaching one of these interesting midlife numbers (laughs) I won't mention. Uh, (laughs) What do you plan for your own Q3 and Q4 and is retirement in there somewhere or not? Well, maybe I'm being idealistic, but I always remember, I think it was Mark Twain who said, find a job you love and you'll never work a day in your life. And if I can find and continually challenge myself to find some challenge that keeps me inspired, motivated and enthused to contribute, then that's what I would like to do. Keep challenging myself and keep embracing the opportunities that come. When The British state pension was introduced back in 1908. Retirement for most people was like one year, two years at best. When when I get to my 65th birthday, I'm hoping that I'll have another 20 years plus of contribution to give. It's much more fun when you can get involved and contribute, I think. I'm not talking about retirement. And just on that point, when we began the midlife MOTs, people walked in the room and said, is this a pre-retirement course? And we said, no, this is anything but this is an anti-retirement course. (laughs) If you walk out the room thinking you're retirement planned, we've not done our job here. So if you come along to a midlife MOT in my company, the word retirement gets zero airplay in there. So for individual listeners who are listening to us, any piece of advice, you who've been watching this trend, 
evolve. And you're lucky, right? You are mm. riding an intellectual wave that will keep you busy for the rest of your mm. not only career, but life. So, and those two mm. things might overlap. Any advice for listeners, the individual? What should they be thinking and doing? Yeah, I think I was going to say take control. By that, I mean understand the facts that surround you. You said up front, do people appreciate the life expectancy that many may have and they do not? So if you're going to do one thing, just go and have a look at what your own personal life expectancy is. You'll find many calculators online, official government calculators in the UK, for example. Find out what your life expectancy is and just appreciate that. It's going to be probably longer than you thought. And then consider what your options and what your plans are at a financial level, I have to say it. See whether your financial plans are on track to rise to that longer life expectancy that you may be approaching. So take control and educate yourself. Those are two ways of stepping into it. And then I would say to any individual out there, leaders, this is a challenge that the United Kingdom has, that many developed economies around the world have. We all can see the problem. There's no shortage of people telling us what the problem is. The challenge is, is the people telling us how to navigate these challenges and how to embrace them and how to see them as opportunities. Get your own house in order as best you can. And then once you've done that, come and tell us all how to seize the moment. Uh, uh, Alistair McQueen, thank you so much for being with us. Listeners, get your life expectancy calculators out. Go to one of them I know is livingto100.com. But as Alistair says, there are many. Interestingly, when I ask people, it's a very common question of mine when I'm speaking is, who would like to know the year of their death? Mm. I would say the overwhelming 95% of people answer is no. No. (laughs) I can understand that. I can understand. Yeah. And let's, any life expectancy calculator, you'll be reassured here, comes with no guarantee. (laughs) (laughs) Um, um, so don't worry this is not a definite (laughs) answer it's an indicator a ballpark and it allows you to stop looking in the rear view mirror as I've said before and start looking to the future and then it's going to be an exciting ride Alistair to your second half thanks for being with us and sharing all of your first half wisdom thank you so much for more thinking about the impact of our four quarter lives you can read my column at Forbes and subscribe to my Elderberries newsletter on Substack. Let's design lives that aren't just longer, but better.